Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. All right, well, here we go with another one of these interviews about accessibility practitioners and how they found their way into uh, this particular area. And today I am pleased to be talking with Pat Kogus. Hello, Pat, how are you today? I'm good, Joe, thanks, how are you? Oh, I'm good, it's, a, it's an incredibly uh, rainy day in the Seattle area where I'm uh, working from. Um, where are you talking to us from today? I am coming to you from Chicago, where it is starting to be a little cool this time of year, but it's to be expected. Cool and clear. Well, it, I, I always enjoy going there as I have uh, my roots there, and uh, yeah, maybe we'll get together uh, in person at some point. But uh, let's talk about um, what you're up to. Uh, what are you uh, currently involved in? So currently, I am the Director of Digital Accessibility at the University of Chicago, and I've been here since January of 2020. So it's been kind of a crazy ride because um, I was in the office for about five weeks before the pandemic hit. And um, then of course we all went home for a long period of time. So uh, we were spinning up a new team at the time, the Center for Digital Accessibility. Um, it was a brand new team. And um, so that's been kind of an interesting challenge to put all those things into place while we're all fully remote, but it worked really well. Uh, all the technologies, of course, are super helpful. And, um, and we took use of all those and lots of other tools too for our team to stay engaged. And um, so it's really been great, actually. Uh, a really uh, nice time, a really important time to be in this field. Well, what's the uh, mission for the uh, Center for Digital Accessibility? So our mission is to create equal access to all of our digital assets for all people, all users. So um, we have, I think, a lot of work to do as all org large organizations do. Uh, so we're training people about the digital accessibility principles and the impact upon users. And um, we're helping everyone to understand uh, how to create digital assets and how to maintain them. Um, so there's you know, a lot to be done, of course. And does this cover uh, the full breadth of the university? Yes, it does. Yep. So we are the main um, digital accessibility team for the entire university. But we have, it's a distributed responsibility though, because everyone who has a website is responsible for their own website, but uh, helping people to understand how to make their own website more accessible uh, is an important piece of the, the whole journey. So it's um, engaging users from across campus. And um, that part of it's been really great and interesting. There's a lot of very committed people. Everyone's very invested in diversity, equity, and inclusion here. So um, we're coming from a very strong point there. Well, I wanna talk more about uh, in detail about the things that uh, you're doing with uh, that, the center, but uh, maybe we can go back in time a little bit first. I always like to, uh, learn how people found their way to where they are today in accessibility. So um, are there any uh, 
uh, certain milestones, things that, that happened in your career that started to point you toward uh, specializing in this area? Yeah, so if you don't mind if I go back really far, I can kind of give the whole path. Um, so when I was in college, I was in a sorority called Delta Gamma. And our mission, our philanthropic mission was um, site conservation and aid to people who are blind. So service for sight primarily. So that was something that was just introduced to me at, at a young age. I had not done any work in that field prior to being in college, but learned a lot about it then. And um, then as an alumnus of the group, uh, participated in a lot of activities around that. So vision screening children at a young age for, um, you know, to see if they have any early signs of um, vision impairments. And then we would, we would refer them, of course, to trained doctors who um, would follow up. But you can do some interesting screenings at a young age with people who are trained in um, just a very simple way to catch early signs. So I did that and then um, continued to sort of go along that path. There is a center in St. Louis called the Delta Gamma Center for Children with Visual Impairments. And I became very involved with that organization as well. Um, we were raising funds to create a new building and make it fully accessible for all the children and their families and also create an accessible playground. Um, there were lots of components to that. So it just continued to be part of my avocation in life was um, this service for sight aspect of things. So uh, yeah, but, and let, let, let me just dig into that a little bit more. Uh, you know, going back, you, you mentioned uh, Delta Gamma was where things started out. Uh, um, I, 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 I did some community surf, service in college, but I also feel like I was half a knucklehead at the time. So uh, um, it's, it, but it sounds like, you know, enough things were done there that really, uh, you know, kind of got you motivated to continue there. So uh, like, what was that experience like? And then how did you make the jump to doing it after college? Yeah, so what we would do at the time, and I'm sure things have evolved um, over time, but we had fundraising events and whatnot to raise money for Service for Sight. We also had um, some of our um, students who were in our sorority who were, for instance, reading newspapers at the time you would read the newspapers on the radio on there's a blind radio station in new orleans um, which is where i went to college i went to loyola university in new orleans um, they at the time had a blind radio station which i'm not sure if it's still in existence or not so some of the members of our group would read for the blind radio station we also could type in books um, which would be converted into braille uh, so there were a number of ways we could participate in that. But yeah, it's not as robust as your experience as an adult outside of college, because as you said, in college, we have lots of distractions. And um, so I did become more active after I graduated and became an alumnus. And then um, as you uh, started working with the, those organizations after college, then uh, kind of what was the next, uh, next uh, step in the path after that? So um, uh, some of what I did um, at the Delta Camera Center um, just helped inform me about the various um, barriers for people who have disabilities, including people who have um, visual impairments. So that was just a, a really a learning time for me. I learned a lot. Um, I think, you know, I could be helpful in some ways, but they 
were also super helpful to me uh, just to help understand. And the kids are fantastic. The, the center supports all kids. Um, their main mission is birth through age three, but then they continue to support them in uh, social groups after that, because um, that's one of the challenges for um, that group is to have a social peer group that's um, a comfortable place for them to be. So uh, anyway, I, I learned a lot about them, learned how wonderful and brilliant they all are and how we could support them by just removing barriers physically, for instance, as I talked about with the playground. And then as I got older and realized that there were also digital barriers, it was a real life changer for me. I didn't know that. And I was in IT. <laughs> so um, I felt like I, I couldn't believe I had spent the first, let's say, 15 years of my career in IT and also running this parallel um, part of my life, which was service to people in the um, visually impaired community. And I never knew that there was an intersection. So when I, um, at one point in my IT career, I didn't know like what I wanted to do next in IT. I was just looking for another path. So I went back to school and got a master's in writing. And then I went to, um, I was hired by Washington University in St. Louis to be a publications editor. So a completely different thing for me. Left IT per se uh, to do some editing, but I ended up editing an online periodical that then I was introduced to this aspect of digital accessibility. And I was just blown away. <laughs> Again, as I said, I had no idea. And I was, um, it was a light bulb. So I just dug into it and I just wanted to learn more. I, I, I became very energized by it. I, I wanted to be able to make, a you know, make some difference um, in that field. So I just kept asking at WashU, questions about digital accessibility to anybody who I thought could give me answers. And, um, and then eventually they said, hey, will you run our user group? Will you co-chair our user group um, for web accessibility? And I was thrilled to do so. So then I continued to dig in even more because, um, <laughs> of course, when someone asks you to co-chair something like that, the first, the first thing I say is, do I really have the skills for this? Uh, yeah. Am I am I going to be able to give in a meaningful way to this or am I just going to go show up? Um, so I really continue to dig in and just learn as much as I could. Um, I went to web aim to their training in Logan, Utah, which is first of all, a beautiful setting. Second of all, they're a fantastic organization and, um, and did my accessibility, my initial accessibility formalized training out there. Um, so that was great for me to, to have that sort of um, formal approach to it. Uh, because again, I had just been digging into it myself for so long yeah. that um, it well, was Well, that's a common, in, common inflection point and experience for people as they get in accessibility. A lot of times it, it, it comes to a, a time when you're doing work and you're made aware of it. And then suddenly uh, you're trying to identify resources and you're looking for uh, uh, people uh, that can help you uh, move forward. But accessibility is like, there's so many parts to it. And with digital accessibility, there's there just so many things potentially that you can learn that I think it often overwhelms people. Like, at the start as well, uh, you know, how can I ever deal with this? And, and when we lock into 
just, all right, I'm going to work on this part and then that part. I think it's a lot easier, but it, it's uh, great that you were able to, uh, you know, get involved in some formal training early on. I think that's, uh, you know, something that can, can benefit everyone that's just starting to get, get into it. Yeah, I think you're so right, Joe. It's very intimidating for people when they first hear about it and first learn about it. There's an overwhelming amount of information out there. Um, and I'm always learning. I, I feel like I'm always still learning something new. So um, just coming to terms with that, that there, there'll never be a point when I'll know everything, uh, which is great if, for someone who loves to be a lifelong learner, as I do. And um, also, also, it's okay for everyone to come into this and just get started because no one, I, I wouldn't say no one, but most people never know everything about it. It's, it's really a, a vast field. And so, uh, so then uh, continuing to move along, what was the, the next uh, area you ended up getting involved with? Yeah, so after um, I did my formal training at WebAIM and continued to do the user group at WashU, um, I started looking for an opportunity where it was a part of my job at WashU, but I really wanted it to be all of my job. <laughs> so um, I just felt very driven to move into digital accessibility as, um, as a job position, you know, as a role. So I um, just started looking. The University of Chicago is, of course, um, a fantastic university. Um, they were at the time looking for someone to create um, this role at the university, director of digital accessibility, and to help start up the new organization, um, the Center for Digital Accessibility. It was a great challenge, and um, I'm very pleased that they felt I was up to the challenge. Well, uh, I know I I, I do uh, I do teaching at the University of Washington, and so you know we do get. Uh, we do get information about accessibility and, and with our the Canvas uh, learning system, it flags slides and documents and things that, that may not be accessible. Um, but, I, but I think, uh, it, it, you know, but I'm a person who, who's familiar with accessibility in a lot of detail. So sometimes I wonder, you know, how, how well uh, educational institutions are able to really you know, get that information into to the instructors and the curriculum, so that in fact it it it, it really ends up uh, being part of the uh, classroom materials. Yeah, so that's um, actually something that you should, University of Chicago thought of when they were creating this CDA. Our team uh, is that they placed us within the Academic Technology Solutions team in IT Services and Central IT, so that. Our academic technology solutions team has our instructional designers in it. We already um, spend a lot of time working with instructors, doing workshops on a variety of um, learning with technology subjects. So it was a perfect touch point. So we have someone on the um, academic technology team who's the lead to go between, between our team and the instructors so that we can have a good access point for that um, because that is really important and it's um there's challenge it's challenging there's lots and lots of university content there are lots of websites lots of pdfs lots of um, information as you said we use canvas um, for our uh, lms so there are various touch points where we have to make a difference in all of them so um, just getting people educated across campus is a a big thing 
so that everyone can start to understand what accessibility means and um, what it looks like in a digital space. That's, um, we spend a lot, a lot of time in that area. And uh, so, uh, you know, as you uh, work through uh, uh, things at the center uh, today, um, are there any particular projects that are taking up your a lot of your time or, or you know kind of what's or on the other way of looking at it kind of what's a day in the life and the types of things uh, involved in building your program mm -hmm. one of the things that was um, just big for all of us is that uh, the university created a digital accessibility policy and communicated it out um, early this year it was January of 2021 they had intended on doing it last year um, is my understanding but the pandemic of course through everyone's plans um, for a loop so it was communicated out at the beginning of this year and then we've really spent a, a lot of time as I said trying to help everyone understand what does it mean to be accessible so there are guidelines to follow of course but really what you want to make sure you're understanding is the impact upon the user because it's really all about embracing people with disabilities and not putting barriers in their way. So, um, you know, just the educational piece of it, as I said, is uh, really huge for us right now. We're also um, working on having some enterprise applications available to help people uh, with these things, accessibility checkers and whatnot. So um, there's lots to be done, of course. And we're Are just there... attacking it, you know, at all levels, our procurement of accessible products, um, just making sure that what we're procuring is the most accessible product in the space. And that's also extremely challenging, um, hoping that vendors really will address that in their products, because um, sometimes it's extremely challenging to find something that's very accessible um, in the vended product world. Yeah, that was something I wanted to ask you about, you know, just generally the process uh, involved there, you know, certainly, um, you know, if, if the products that the university is uh, purchasing, uh, you know, aren't accessible, that obviously that, <laughs> that creates a huge problem. And there, there, there are, of course, uh, uh, you know, requirements about that in terms of purchasing, but, uh, you know, what's the, what's the actual, uh, process like when you're investigating things? I imagine uh, it can it can be hard to uh, uh, vet certain products and get the right answers and then really know whether that's going to work in a practical manner once things are instituted for the students. Yeah, it is very challenging. And we have some processes in place at the university where we, you know, hoping to get the most accessible thing. But as I've said, I've, I'm really hoping that vendors will turn their attention to this because um, everyone who's procuring the product shouldn't be all having to test this vended product. The vendors mm -hmm. really can make the most impact here because some vendors have a really large presence, um, not just in the higher ed world, but you know across other um, domains as well. And if the vendors make their product accessible, um, that would be a lot less work for us. Um, but yeah, we have processes in place to hopefully choose the most accessible products we can. And uh, as we uh, finish up here, are there uh, any things, uh, you know, looking to the future, are there any, any uh, plans that you have for the center that the university has of, you know, maybe where 
certain goals they want to achieve in like five years or 10 years. I know universities tend to uh, uh, have a lot of, have to have a lot of long-term plans for things. Yeah, so uh, we are looking at our capability maturity model of where we are as an organization right now with digital accessibility and planning. Um, first of all, we're going to assess where we are in the model uh, this year. And then hopefully from that, have some strategic planning that comes out of that. But yeah, we definitely have um, five-year goals out there. Um, one of the things I'd really like to do is broaden the ability for my team, which is a small team, we have four people, is um, use, you know, employ somehow uh, people with disabilities to involve in our testing. Um, right now, we as a team are testing using screen readers, using keyboard only, using automated tools, uh, but we would really like to find um, a good way to you to utilize these people who use screen readers in a native way. Um, so that will be definitely uh, one of the things we'll be addressing probably in the next year. And, and I would really welcome that. I, I think having some input from users with disabilities would be fantastic. Well, uh, that, that's great. Uh, and it was uh, great to have this conversation with you, Pat. Thanks for uh, taking the time to uh, share your journey in uh, accessibility and, and hopefully uh, uh, things will ease up with the uh, pandemic and we're, you're able to get back into uh, that rather impressive uh, urban campus that you have there. Thank you. Yep, looking forward to the return to campus. People are um, learning back there right now and uh, our team will um, be migrating back there soon. Yep. All right, great. Thanks so much, Pat. Bye-bye. Thanks, Joe. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design, we can move existing designs to development in a sprint. And maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. 
If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X dot com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.